Hey everyone, welcome back to the Anime World Order podcast. This is not the remainder of show number 71, like you were all expecting. We couldn't get that edited together in time. Our official excuse is because Otakon is coming up next week, and then Anime Festival Orlando is coming up the week after that. We've got panels to do. So anyway, in the meantime, here's an interview I conducted with noted voice actor, writer, director, an all-around cool guy, guy who's about as cool as he is tall, Mr. Richard Epcar. This interview was conducted at Florida Supercon 2008 using my portable recorder, so you're going to have to forgive the audio quality on this one. I did not have a windscreen attached to the mic, and since it had been so long since I used the portable recorder, I forgot how to hold it. Still, Richard Epcar is a very interesting guy. His resume is colossal and gigantic, and he's been working in anime and video game dubbing for many, many years, so do hope you enjoy this. Maybe you're listening to this while you're playing World of Warcraft, as so many of you are keen to do, according to the polls. Speaking of the polls, do go on over to the website, www.animeworldorder.com. We do have a new web poll for everyone to respond to. And while you're waiting for the remainder of show number 71, which will hopefully be posted before we head to Otakon, you can, of course, check our archives of all the previous shows. Let us know what you think about this interview. I know I'm not exactly going to be taking Jonathan Ross's job anytime soon, but let me know how well I did, animeworldorder at gmail.com. If you want some additional questions for Richard Epcar, we could probably corner him again at Otakon in about a week. So send in those questions if you got them. Voicemail line is still 206-666-4AWO. We are listening to all the voicemails. Most of them are comments. If you have questions that you'd prefer us to answer in a more timely manner, email might be the better bet. Anyway, without any further ado, here is the interview. Here we are, Florida Supercon. I am here with a special guest, a great man, Mr. Richard Epcar. Oh, oh yeah, I was talking about you, actually. <laughs> Say hello, folks. Hello, folks. There we go. What's your take on this crazy anime con sci-fi thing going on? We've been having a lot of fun, actually. It's been beautiful. Today was really hot. So oh, yeah, crazy. It was really hot out there, yeah. What events did you have today? What did you go through? I'll let everyone know. Today was really good. We had a panel. My wife and I, Ellen Stern, who's a voiceover actress and a director as well, she and I had a panel where we basically talked about some of the projects that we work on and answered questions and did autographs. And then just now we just had an outtake panel, which were some outtakes from Lupin the Third and Boba Bo, which we just did, and people seem to really enjoy them, as they always do. So you do this at many conventions? Yeah, I, I love to do the outtake thing because people just go nuts because it's a lot of fun. We get really silly, and they get to see some of their favorite characters and cartoon shows, you know, with the characters saying things that they wouldn't see them saying on TV. So Most people listening to this show probably know who you are, but just give a quick little overview. Who is the man, the mystery, Richard Epcar? Well, I'll give you a few of the main ones. I do Bateau and all the Ghosts in the Shell shows, the standalone complex, the movies, the games. I'm also Jigen in Lupin the Third, which I also direct. I also am Bobobo, Bobobo. I commend you for getting all those syllables. Yes, down. it's, it's Maybe not after easy. 75 episodes, it's probably. Yeah, it's been a lot. I also do a lot of games. I direct a lot of games and I voice a lot of games. Some of the more popular ones are Kingdom Hearts 2, which I played Anson in Xenohort. I was also in Samurai Champloo, X-Men, and Speed Racer, the new Speed Racer. I played Racer X. What else? Robotech, you, the original Robotech, of course, yeah. yeah. And actually, a lot of the people who listen to our show probably know a lot of those old uh, streamlined pictures, Harmony Gold sorts of things. And Ninja could you, Scroll. Oh, Ninja yeah, Ninja Scroll. Scroll. That was a great one. You were uh, Gamma, correct? Yeah, I was, Lord Gamma, that's right. One Gamma. and all those, uh, you know. How does one find the actual voice to make for sound being made when your head is cut off and reattached? 
Boy, that was tough. That was very hard. And I, uh, I don't have vocal cords. How am I supposed to make a sound? But I was still screaming. It was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> Been doing this voice acting thing for Almost decades. Years. Almost nearly 30 years now. Only 31. Which yeah, which is pretty impressive. Amazing. I mean, amazing. I don't know how that works. Before but. you were able to walk, you were in front of that, that shotgun yes. mic. There you go. But to go into some of the Robotech stuff, like you were, of course, and Dixon, and you were Lunk, Lunk as well, and correct? Grell. Grell was one of the bad guys. Okay, one of the uh, Zentradi. One of the of, what's his name, the main bad guy. I can't okay. remember his name right now. Chiron, I think. Chiron. Uh, yeah. There you go. Very yeah. good. Yeah, Chiron. He was one of the underlings of Chiron. How did all that fall into place? I mean, obviously, anime wasn't really that big of a thing, kind of the way it is now. Tell us about how you, you fell into Robotech. I was originally with my wife. The way a whole thing started was she had done some film, and one of her friends who was in the film with her called her and said they're having auditions to replace this lead guy's voice in a live-action film. So she said to the guy, can I bring my boyfriend, which was me at the time, and he said yes, and I went there and I got the job, I got the lead in it. Well, after that, I started doing tons of voice work. I started working like crazy, and I started doing a bunch of different animation and live-action dubbing over at a place called Intersound, which was on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And Intersound was where all the old Streamline Pictures dubs were recorded, correct? Exactly. Carl Masek took all of his stuff there, and they uh, did a lot of uh, joint productions with Harmony Gold. So they started getting to know me, and as they got to know me, they started calling me in for these different shows. Well, one of the shows was Robotech. I didn't have to audition or anything. They just saw this character, Ben Dixon, and for some reason they thought of me. (laughs) So they brought me in, and I did Ben Dixon, I did Lunk, and I did Grell, and then Vince Grant later on in the Sentinels, and then, of course, I did him just recently in Robotech The Shadow Chronicles, which I also co-directed. I recall hearing on the extras for that that you do so many of these parts that you couldn't quite remember what voice you gave, and then you sort of gave a voice, and they said, oh yeah, that was the voice you did 20 years ago, or something like that. Well, no, what happened was they called me in to audition for the role, and I had no idea what it was, because it wasn't at Harmony Gold, and it wasn't for any of the people that I normally deal with on these uh, Robotech things. So I went to another place to audition, and they gave me a description of the character basically a big black man who's a captain of a starship so i just for some reason i've been doing a lot of black characters lately so i did uh, and there was a lot of real black people there auditioning i'm sure they're not too thrilled that i got the part but i did the audition and they told me after i had auditioned they said well you did this character 20 years ago i said i did and they said yeah you did in the sentinels and i completely had forgotten i mean it was like 20 years ago or something like that so i had completely forgotten and it was kind of funny that i got the part and and it's funny because i listened to the way i did it back then and the way i do it now and it's just i think it's a lot better now but it was just such a completely he looked completely different i mean vince grant in the sentinels he was this little skinny guy who he wasn't a starship captain at all he was uh, something else on the ground he did some other kind of a thing and he was just a completely different looking character now he's a square jawed tough you know so it, I, it was really fun playing that kind of character and being a captain of a starship has always been one of my dreams anyway ever since captain star trek Kirk. lex lang always would do the really hilarious shatner impersonations when he'd come on down the florida cons but yeah tell us some more about how did it work at inner sound was it vastly different from how anime is done now we do things a little differently today, and things are uh, more advanced, technologically speaking. But we had a lot of the same people, except we've gotten older. 
It's like I was talking about in the other panel when I went back and I heard a piece of the original Ghost in the Shell. It was kind of shocking to me because I've been doing this character Bateau for so long, but I've been doing a lot of stuff recently with him. And then I went back and listened to him in the early days and I sounded so young. I'm going, holy crap, that sounds so different than Bateau that I'm doing now. And that wasn't a conscientious thing. You just mentally think you're sounding the same each time, but actually it's changing gradually. Yeah, I'm trying to play the same character, but I guess as I've matured and gotten older, my voice has gotten deeper and more mature sounding. And to be honest with you, I like it the way it sounds better now than the way, the way it sounded back then. I think it's really perfect for Bato. Is the secret to getting Bato right? You gotta smoke like a pack a day for, you know, decades at a time? Is um, this Peter Fernandez approach? I don't smoke any cigarettes at all. I never have. Never will. You got a cigar in your best pocket. hanging on my pocket. I do have an occasional cigar. I have maybe two or three cigars a month. No, smoking is not a good thing. It's not like the Peter Cullen approach of, uh, you know, you got to get that voice to... Does he smoke a lot of cigarettes? I I think he does. He might have even started his habit, or maybe that was Don LaFontaine. I was very happy for Peter when he got the Transformer movie, because a lot of us who were in Transformers, I actually, by fluke, I got to audition for a couple of the characters in the movie, but the word that came out from the studio basically was they didn't want the cartoon voice guys to audition for those characters which I think kind of sucks and I was really glad when he got the lead and I know they had to go through a lot of crap for him to get that part I think he did a great job and I think they'd be stupid not to have I think if they were smart they'd have all of the real cartoon guys play those characters it always struck me as odd that they had to get the big celebrity star Hugo Weaving to be the bad guy in that movie uh, Megatron by the time they did all the voice modulation and all the the effects work you can't even tell it's him i think the fans would appreciate having the original guys doing it they still had some money though because he did matrix and yeah matrix and v for vendetta lord of the rings and he's got 80 billion dollars he, he's uh, he needs some he needs some food to put on his table but yeah i mean frank welker was the original voice of so many of those characters they had him be the voice for the video game but not for the movie and uh, did you notice this seemed to be happening a lot the need to bring in celebrity talent and well as i was saying my other panel a lot of times we get clients that want celebrity voices in games and I gotta say the celebrities just suck for the most part I mean I, I don't want to say that across the board because a few of them come in and are amazing and do a great job but uh, a lot of times when you get these celebrities because they're not trained voice actors and it's a very different style of acting they don't do as good a job as the real voice actors you know? so you say the main challenge to the voice acting versus the traditional film acting is the need to have that rhythm to synchronize up with what is being said on the screen or, no, or what because those things that you're talking about are original animation and that's just basically going in front of a mic and acting. But it's a different kind of acting, more akin to stage almost than it is to the uh, intimate type of acting that they're used to doing in in front of a camera. They get so used to doing that small, intimate kind of acting. When you get in front of a mic, you really have to have that presence and you really have to be strong and your voice has to basically do all your acting for you because you're not seeing your eyes, you're not seeing your facial expressions, you're not seeing any of that. You're not using your body, you know what I mean? So it all has to be the voice and a lot of them just don't understand that. So as a director, how do you maybe guide people who may not necessarily have all that level of experience. I mean, you must work with a variety of different actors over the years, even though I'm sure you've got some of your favorites. And How do I handle it with other actors? Yeah, how do you handle it when other actors who aren't really getting the performance you want, or maybe they aren't quite getting it? What's like a, a good trick, maybe, here? Well, there's no trick. You just have to be a good director, and you just have to have good instincts, and you have to know what's going to make a particular actor or performer work. And I try to find certain words or things that will inspire them to kind of go in the direction I want them to go into. Basically, a lot of times when film actors get in there as celebrities and they get really tight, and a lot of times because they're celebrities, people are afraid to talk to them or give them direction, even though they suck. And the problem is, I just did this one game recently, and all of the people in the game are excellent, except for the lead guy, who's a big 
big star, and the big star sounded terrible because he has no energy and he didn't do. And so I really had to try to bring him up to the level, to even close to the level of the other people, because the other people were so wonderful. And this particular actor, he's a well-known actor, and he's a wonderful actor. Actually, he tried to give me what I wanted as a director. But he had no experience. This is the first time he'd ever done voice work, so he had a hard time with it. The good thing was he was a lovely guy, and he worked hard. He tried to give me what I asked for. Where on the other hand, I've had experiences with celebrities that come in that are just terrible, and they don't want to take direction. They don't say, who the hell are you, and they don't care, and their performance sounds like crap. So you're kind of stuck with that side of their coin also. Do you think with animation now becoming more high-profile, a lot more blockbusters being animated work, do you think more people are starting to take it seriously, or do you think there's still kind of that perception out there that, oh, those voice actors or anything like that? Well, I think anime in general, I think all that stuff since like Speed Racer is being made into a movie and talking about doing a Ghost in the Shell movie and they're doing a Robotech live action movie. I think the more stuff like that that they do, the more that this stuff is going to gain acceptance, credibility, and there's always a huge fan base for this stuff, but I think it's going to be more out there and it's going to be a, a bigger fan base because the general public is going to start enjoying it as well. Of course, you mentioned this at uh, the start of the interview, but you know one of your most well-known characters that you've played over many, many years is Bato from Ghost in the Shell. And you mentioned in your panel he's one of those guys who you know you kind of enjoy playing that part a lot. Can you maybe tell us some of your thoughts about Bato, what kind of guy you think he is, and what makes the guy tick? Well, Bato's a lot of fun because he's not just a straightforward shoot 'em up guy. He's guy. He's a very deep thinker. He's got a great sense of humor. He's very dry and very wry, and he's got a great heart. But the other side of him is, is he won't take any shit from anyone. He'll just kick down doors and he'll kill people if he has to. I mean, he'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. But he's a very, very deep thinker, and he's a philosophical person. So he's a lot of fun to play on that level because he's not just a shoot 'em up kind of a character, you know. I actually have talked to a lot of fans of Ghost in the Shell, and they say that Bato is actually their favorite character more so than the Major, even, because of those factors. Like, Bato's got his own very defined personality, whereas the Major is a little bit more a cipher. You don't really know what's going on with her. Yeah, the Major's definitely got some issues, and you're not sure why she's always running away from everything, and you're wondering why she can never commit to Bateau or, you know, I mean, she just runs away from everything. She doesn't want to be uh, entangled in any kind of a relationship or situation, and it's just kind of interesting, you know. I get the feeling that solid-state society isn't the end of it. These characters are wonderful characters, and they can have all kinds of things, and the things that they come up with for them are quite ingenious, I think. The different stories and scenarios that they come up with are quite amazing. I hope they have a lot more to come, because I enjoy playing Bateau, and I would love to play him some more. And on that subject, you actually directed the dub for Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, which is a very Bato-centric film. Of course, it's also very well known for being this very philosophical film. Have you ever had any interactions with Mamoru Oshii, the director? No. I've never had any interactions with him other than I've done some of his work. But it was very challenging doing uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 because it is the dialogue, a lot of the dialogue, they're just basically quoting philosophy. So you have to kind of take that. And There's actually two versions now. There is uh, my version, which I did for the U.K. and Australia, which I wrote and directed, which I really liked because it's my version. I get to actually play Bateau the way I want to play Bateau, and I don't always get to play Bateau the way I want to play Bateau because I'm being directed by someone else when I do these other shows. And they're doing a new one now. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but they're doing a new one. Yeah, they actually announced uh, that that was happening, and a lot of people, the general reaction was, 
why are they even doing this new one? Yeah. Is there some legal thing or what? I don't know. I just know that they're going to be doing it for the Blu-ray version, but as a result of doing it in the U.S., it's all kind of confusing to me, too, to be honest with you, because they could have done this four years ago and just done... Yeah, they the could have just released uh, and the, just the DreamWorks one. I don't know why they didn't do that. Seems very odd, because you're in the new one as well, correct? Yeah, yeah I am. Has any of the cast significantly changed between well, one version and the other? Well, it's the same principal cast. All the other characters are different. This particular group who's doing the new one has basically changed all the characters, and they're doing their own version of it, which is you know, they're certainly their prerogative. Okay. In the panel, you mentioned you worked on a show called Transformers, Robots in Disguise. Uh, in previous episodes of the show, we had another guest, Mark Handler, who also was a writer for that show, among many other things. Uh, tell us a little bit about Mark. <laughs> Mark is a great guy. He's really a warm, warm, wonderful guy. And he always has these, these beautiful Asian girls that he's dating all the time. He's but, in Vietnam right now as we speak. Well, there you go. That's probably why. Mark is always warm and nice to me. He loves to travel. It's something I enjoy doing as well. But he always goes to these really Far East places that I've never been to. So I'm a little jealous about that. I would love to go there. I've been all over Europe and to Norway and Israel and parts of the Middle East and that sort of thing. And Germany, France, Poland. But he's been to the Far East, which uh, I will get to there one day. I especially want to go there and meet some of these people that work on a lot of these shows that I work on, like Ghost in the Shell. This is very interesting that you're able to travel the world. How do you make the time? I mean, it sounds like you're the kind of guy who's perpetually busy. Well, I am perpetually busy, but basically when I did all that traveling, I was hired by DreamWorks and by Universal Pictures to be a, a supervisor for them to supervise our films into the foreign dubs. So I went basically all over the world supervising uh, versions of Gladiator, Chicken Run, Galaxy Quest, Madagascar, a bunch of other ones that I can't remember right now. I had a great time and Basically, I was in Europe one year for six months, and then I was in Europe another year for three months. So that was very tough because it took me out of action over here for a while. So that was kind of tough. But whenever I get a chance to travel, I like to travel. And then I just recently, not too long ago, as I mentioned in our panel, that I directed the uh, SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 game. And we went all over the United States to the different venues where these guys were doing their wrestling. So I got to travel to a lot of different places in the U.S. that I had never been to before. So that was fun. I do enjoy traveling. That's one of the reasons I do conventions is because I like traveling. That's actually interesting that you did the wrestling game because yeah. that comes out every year. You weren't involved in any of the other ones or 2008 or any no, of those? We, we did it one year and then they wanted me to come back. But I was actually making a lot more money doing another game, which is called Blue Dragon, which I directed. And the show for that as well, correct? No, I don't do the show. The show is done in Los Angeles, but it's done with a different cast for the most part, and it's directed by somebody else at another studio. But yeah, it has nothing to do with the game, unfortunately. It would have been a nice segue to do the show after doing the game. Blue Dragon, of course, it's on the Cartoon Network. It's very popular. You seem to be having pretty good luck as far as the major shows that are on Cartoon Network that become very popular involve you in some form or fashion. Oh, nice, I mean, yeah. you know, you got Loop on the Third, Blue Dragon, etc. I mean, which of these projects, granted all of them are work and it's great to get paid, but are any in particular that seem like the most fun? Uh, I recently did the Joker in a DC Comics uh, game. And that was one of the funnest things I've ever done. I keep saying it's the most fun I've had with my clothes on because it's just, I got to be totally insane and crazy and this crazy voice came out of me and it was just really fun to do it. So that was one of the funner projects. Bateau is one of those too. I love doing Bateau, especially when I'm doing it. Interesting you mentioned the Joker. I mean, there's been so many different takes on the character over the years. You had the Cesar Romero Joker and then the Jack Nicholson and now Heath Ledger and of course there's been Mark Hamill and such. Did you pull any of those for inspiration or 
you just decide to do your own thing? I pretty much did my own thing. I can't say that I was not inspired by all those. Obviously, the one thing they did say when we went in there, they did not want the Jack Nicholson Joker, and I think the reason was because there's a new one coming out and they wanted it to be different. But I had not seen Heath Ledger's uh, Joker, so I don't know what he did. I just came up with this voice that I think that the Joker would sound like, and it just came out of me, so it was interesting. You've mentioned that they're redoing Innocence after you know, you'd know you already been in the dub. This is not the first time this has happened to you. There was a show many years ago, it was a Saban show, called Technoman. Oh, yeah, yeah. In that, you were uh, one of the supporting cast. Mac, Axe. Techoman Axe, right. Yeah, but Mac was the Scottish guy, and he was a lot of fun to do. And I also directed and wrote a lot of those, too. That show was very cool, and what was interesting to me was the guy, uh, Tom Weiner and I worked on it, and he was a producer, basically, of it, and I directed a lot of the shows, and he directed some, and, and I wrote a lot, as I said. We came up with the idea, originally they wanted my character to sound like George C. Scott, but then I started doing the Sean Connery impersonation thing, and they loved that, and they made him, because he was like Scotty, basically, in Star Trek, so he had a Scottish accent now. What was interesting was I was watching the show one time, I think I was in Germany, and they were doing a German version of it, but Mac had a Scottish accent. Apparently they had heard our version of it, and they had made him have a Scottish accent, because they probably thought that's what he was supposed to have. Does that, does that happen often when you're traveling, and you see things that you were involved in, in other languages? Yeah, but that was the most shocking one, because obviously if they're just doing a voice, they're just doing it in the language, so you can't really discern what they're doing, or if they're trying to copy you or not. But this was kind of funny, because they actually did put on a Scottish accent. But still speaking German. Yes, yes, with a Scottish accent. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. I guess another thing that's on everyone's mind now, uh, you mentioned Robotech earlier. Is there something going on with the live-action Robotech? Have they given you a call, or does anyone know what's going on with that? <laughs> I wish they would give me a call. I would love to read for anything on there. And, you know, once again, I think it behooves them to include us. They try to keep us out, but I think it behooves them because then you have a built-in fan base, and people want to come see and they, Oh, my God, that's so-and-so. Because, yeah, why would they make the movie anyway if they didn't want to? have that built-in fan base that we spread the word. I know, because I guess it's just the title they think about, but I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. But anyway, they are going to do a live-action version of it, uh, so I'm told. As a result, I was told that a lot of the other stuff the at Harmony Gold is going to be put on the back burner. So I'm not sure if that's true or not. I'm going to be doing a convention very soon with Tommy Yoon. And I am going to back him into a corner and, <laughs> and say, and get an hey, answer. where's, where's yeah, Robotech? What's the deal with the next one? Because he told me I was going to direct at least the next one and probably the, the rest of them. Because they were very happy with the way I came in and the redirected Shadow Chronicles. As far as directing anime and most ADR work is generally done individually, mm-hmm. and a lot of original animation is often done uh, on some. Is there any reason why? Because like, I've seen in footage of Japanese recordings, they still have to match the animation, too. It's not animated to them, but they do it ensemble. Any experience with that, with the idea of just people shuffling up to the mic and giving their lines, or is that just a purely Japanese thing? That's pretty much Japanese, and it's the way they do Spanish dubs also. But the problem is, as you can see in all the Japanese cartoons, the sync is horrible. They don't care about the sync, which has always perplexed me, because the Japanese always seem so meticulous about everything. Their sync is always horrible, and I don't understand that. And whenever I ask them about that, they always say, well, the important thing is the performance. Well, yeah, but you can have both. You can have good sync and good performance, so I don't understand that. When we do our work, we generally do one actor at a time, because then you can really do the sync perfectly. Now, on original animation, 
musician, a lot of times they will record ensemble, but sometimes they record single recording as well. But when you do an ensemble, it's nice because then it's like a radio play. Then you're reading off another actor and you're listening to them and you're giving and you're taking. And so as an actor, it's certainly more enjoyable to work that way. Would you say that the animation voice acting is most similar in style to the radio play serial drama sort of voice acting that's sort of fallen out of practice but it's yeah. kind of making a little comeback on the internet nowadays uh, maybe i think so i think it has a bit of that to it it's certainly a little more amped up than real life but it depends on the show once again some of the shows they want them to be really really natural and really sound real I actually think oftentimes when people praise, say, the uh, Warner Brothers DC thing, since you mentioned the Joker, they often praise, uh, I believe, Andrea Romano is her name, as um, doing very naturalistic sounding dialogue, even though I think you could do a very over-the-top, right. Super Friends-style yeah. delivery. And she always mentions that she handles it not like a cartoon, but as a, a radio drama. Do you think maybe that philosophy has merit as far as producing good dubbing? Well, I think any acting, as long as you try to make it real, no matter what you're doing, if there's a reality to it, it's going to be more engaging to an audience. If it's really over the top and crazy, then I don't think it, people invest in it, you know what I mean? So I think that any time you can make something sound real and natural, I think it's always a better way to go. Since you listen to you know dubs on a frequent basis, have you ever walked into a room and heard audio coming from a TV and then just been able to say, that's an anime dub, just from the sound of it? Well, sometimes. I mean, I usually listen to certain things. I know who it is who's doing the voice, because I've been doing this a long time, and I direct a lot of these people, so I know what their voices sound like. Cheater. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if I walk by the TV and say, oh, that's an anime dub, particularly, necessarily. Mm. It just depends if it's a particular show or not. You've done lots of directing, you've done lots of uh, acting, but you've also written a great deal of things, and I don't think a lot of fans really appreciate the difficulty what goes into the writing process for anime scripts can you just tell us a little bit about that writing is very very difficult because basically you're trying to take a language from another country and you're trying to insert it into the mouth flaps of the character so that it looks like he's speaking english and you're given a very raw translation yeah sometimes you're giving either a a subtitled uh, list or you're given a, a very stilted translation so it's your job to take that translation and make it sound smooth but make it also fit in the mouth and there's a lot of plosives and labials that you have to fit that works you know it's uh you have to find the m the b and the p's that'll fit in the mouth so it looks like it's english hey Hi. we're joined by uh you know a lovely lady who you might have met before might you might have met her i'm just not sure have you, have you met this man you know i recognize you you look familiar do you reside in california I knew you're gonna do that. Do you reside no, in Cal- I don't. Do you reside in a certain black and white house with a red door that has a garden in front and a garden in back with two cats and two children? Is this your homage to uh, Ionesco? It is. So. <laughs> and the bald soprano. Because <laughs> now I was going to ask about your cats. We have two cats, Tigger and... Mew Mew. Doesn't Mew Mew sound like an anime Mew cat? Mew Mew sounds like a Pokemon. Yeah, see? Well, see, we had a huge argument about Mew Mew because we did not want to name the cat Mew Mew, and it was Father's Day when we acquired the cat. And there were our two kids, my mother, Richard, and me. And we all voted for a different name. I forget. What did we vote for? Uh, what did they want? They wanted something. Mr. Bigglesworth? Something uh, like that, yeah. Uh, something else. 
else. Anyhow. It's so good you can't even remember it. That's true. So Richard turns to me and he says, it's Father's Day. If you do not vote for Mew Mew, I will take it as a personal affront. Because we're all voting. (laughs) So the cat became Mew Mew. Anyhow, good for you, honey. Maybe that's why it's a scaredy cat. Maybe that's why Mew Mew is afraid of its own shadow. I just thought that sounded like an anime. Well, yeah, there's a show called Tokyo Mew Mew. That's why he got it. I didn't get it. I I just thought it sounded like an anime cat, so I thought that was cute. Well, Tigger is Tigger's the only cat in the house. No. Mew Mew is the anime cat. Mew Mew's cat. like the Don Knotts of cats. <laughs> the Don Knotts? Yeah, she's like always afraid of everything. Look at me. She freaks out and runs away. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to maybe promote as upcoming things that aren't super secret CIA? You know, if I told you I'd have to kill you, is there anything we out there? Can't, we can't say what they are. Oh, it's all secretive. In the middle of production right now and non-disclosure agreements and all like that. Oh, complicated stuff. I don't understand stuff. why it is. It's very oh, bizarre. There is one show that's coming up called Monster. Are you familiar? Oh, with I love Monster. Yeah, I'm play the inspector on that. So Monster is actually the anime for that. It's actually going to happen because it was yes, they were shopping it around. I'm playing the inspector on it. The same folks we just finished uh, doing Busu Renkin with, which always makes me think of Asubuku and makes me hungry. God bless you. And we're doing that with them, and that's coming up. Uh, some other shows. I'm trying to remember what they are. I'm going to be finishing an original animated feature that I worked on called Blaze of Glory, which I'm going to be recording some tracks for when I get back to L.A., and a few other things. All right, we'll definitely be looking forward to Blaze of Glory and especially uh, Monster, which hopefully Viz will get on TV. Hint, yeah. hint. Nice. But, uh, you know, I want to thank you for your time, Richard Epcar, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again at Oticon later this year. Thanks to Alan Stern. Yes. <laughs> Alan, who showed up here at the end, but we all love you, Alan. Well, thank you. It's uh, nice to feel included. Uh, she always finds me, no matter where I am. <laughs> no matter where you go, there she is. She finds me. No, I've seen the outtakes fifty million times, and I, I laid by the pool. What are you talking uh, about? This is the first time I've shown them. <laughs> Never before seen. Did you tell them about all the outtakes online that we can't get? Yeah. The YouTube ones that the, got pulled down. They erased. They erased them. What? They erased them. YouTube them took of them YouTube. off, those bastards. Why? You're bastards, YouTube. Why you and you... Cartoon Network. 